Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your people are here. Our ears are open. Speak to us now, O Lord. Illuminate your word, and may it be planted in our hearts and our minds. And may we see the world as you do. Guide us and strengthen us with your word. Change us, O Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. You know, I was, I, as I was driving here today, it seemed like I hit every red stop. Don't you hate when that happens? I usually do. But for some reason, this morning was different. I actually enjoyed it. Why? Something came over me. At every red light, I looked to my left and I looked to my right. And there happened to be cars there, people waiting just like me. And I couldn't help but think and ask myself, where are these people going? Who are these people and where are they going? What's going on in their life right now? Are they feeling good? Are they feeling satisfied? Are they happy? What direction is their life in? Physically, I couldn't help but think about those things. But then there was a spiritual element there too. And as I asked that question, I couldn't help but ask the question, what is their relationship with God? What does that look like? They all have potentially, I I imagine, families and friends. What's going on in that heart and that mind? Where are they going? Who are they following? I say this because this has to do with today's reading of the gospel. Today is the second week, Sunday, of Epiphany. And Epiphany is when God revealed himself to the world. He manifested. He made himself known. And he did that, namely, initially through three events. His birth, Jesus' birth, and the visiting of the Magi, the wise men. Second was the baptism of our Lord, which we read and meditated on last Sunday. And then the third epiphany moment was at the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turned water into wine. And it just so happens that today's reading is sandwiched between the baptism of our Lord, in the middle of John chapter 1, and the beginning of chapter 2, which is the wedding at Cana, where Jesus performed his first miracle. So what you have here in today's reading is what takes place between the baptism and the wedding. Now the baptism, the baptism is what we learned last week was the inauguration. When something new happened, when the heavens ripped open and Jesus was inaugurated as king and there was new life that entered the world and Jesus and the new king and the kingdom had been launched. So Jesus' ministry begins at the baptism. 
At the wedding, just a few verses after today's reading, is when Jesus comes into Cana, a town not far from where he grew up, and he turns water into wine. And that event, that symbolizes and foreshadows his death and the resurrection. The water into wine, the wine representing the blood. But then that miracle of transformation is also the miracle and transformation of our bodies one day in the resurrection at the heavenly banquet, which is like a wedding when the bride of Christ and bride are married. And so what you have in John chapter 1 and 2, the baptism and the wedding is a microcosm is basically a shot, a snapshot of the entire gospel. I believe if we just had John chapter 1 and John chapter 2 of the entire New Testament, it would be sufficient. It would be sufficient to understand the person and the work of Christ and our involvement in that person and work. And so what you have this morning is what takes place between the baptism and the wedding. The new life and the death and resurrection. And that's what John, I believe, wants us to see. Put on our caps and be able to read the lines in between and see what does it look like from baptism to the death and resurrection of Christ. Hear Jesus, hear Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. You see, what you have in that section in between is two almost identical episodes. First is Jesus calling Andrew and then Peter, which declared Jesus as the Messiah. And in today's reading, the second episode is Jesus calling Philip and then Nathaniel and them both declaring him as the Son of God. You see, so what does the Christian life look like between baptism and the resurrection? Discipleship. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We begin when Jesus is in Galilee. He decided, it says, to go into Galilee. He made a choice. He wasn't asked. No. On his own free will, he decided to go to Galilee. And when he gets there, the scripture tells us that he found Philip. It doesn't say he saw Philip. Or somebody brought Philip to him? Or Philip found him? No. It says that Jesus found Philip. And I can't help but that word found, I can't help but imagine and contemplate what that meant. And what does that mean for us today? As if Jesus was seeking him. As if Jesus was looking for him. As one looks for lost valuables. Searching the home. And then there's great delight and joy when you found, find something you once lost. 
And I sense that that's what's happening here. That Jesus found him, found Philip because this is someone he wanted. This is somebody that he's been watching and knows from afar. Again, this is epiphany. The divinity, the deity of Christ is being manifested in all that he does. And so he finds this person, and when someone is found, it's almost like they were once lost. That they're just aimlessly or idling, walking through life, and here's Jesus interrupting their life and finds them. And what does he say, the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth when he finds Philip is, follow me. So simple, isn't it? Two simple, short words. Follow me. But I believe there's a lot of weight to those words. What looks simple and almost in passing is actually very, very significant. Follow me, meaning come after me. Come, I'm going to show you something. Follow me and no one else. Whatever you're doing in life right now, drop it. Let it go. Come, follow me. Watch me. Look at the way I see life. Think like me. Walk like me. Behave like me. Live like me. Forgive like me. Love like me. Follow me. And he says it with a sense of authority. Should we be surprised? He is the king. Right? A king speaks with authority. Follow me. Now, he doesn't say where he's going. But you can read and understand that he is saying, come with me. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to Provide the way for your life. And somewhere after that moment of Philip following Jesus, he runs into or finds, forgive me, he finds now his friend Nathaniel. Who is Nathaniel? We don't know. Must, must likely be a friend. He finds. The Greek word is the same word here. Herisko. He finds him. It's almost like he's mimicking. Philip is mimicking what Jesus just did to him. Something must have happened between the time that, Je that Philip was found by Jesus. Something must have happened that Philip was so convinced, so sure, and there was a sense of urgency that he had to go and find a friend of his. Right? He's mimicking Jesus. It's very subtle, and you can easily miss it, but he is following in the ways already within, we don't know, seconds, minutes, hours, days. Probably not days. Clearly not days. We know that from the next passage. But very soon thereafter, Jesus says, follow me. Now Philip himself is embodying that lifestyle. Something's happened to Philip that is so important, something so powerful or transformative, I can only imagine, that he goes and finds a friend and says, come. And he says to him, we have found, we have found. 
Now he has found. The word again. We have found of whom Moses in the law and the prophets spoke of. That's an idiomatic statement, a euphemism for the Messiah. The, Moses, the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets. We have found which the prophets and the law spoke to and testify all of Scripture pointing to the Messiah. We have actually found him who we were looking for. We were seeking as a people, as the Jewish people, we have found him. And he says to him, Jesus of Nazareth, that's the person, that's the Messiah, the son of Joseph. It's interesting, he doesn't say the son of Mary. He says the son of Joseph. Why does he say the son of Joseph and not the son of Mary? I believe it's because Mary does not have any connection to any of the ancestors, the lineage that prophesied of the coming Messiah. No, Joseph does. If you read the genealogy in Matthew and then in Luke, you will see that it is Joseph that is the descendant of David and that is where the Messiah would come from, the house of David. And David himself is a descendant of the tribe of Judah. And Judah was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob blessed his 12 sons in the second to last chapter of Genesis 49. And he blessed all of his sons. And to Judah, he gave a very unique blessing. One that I think stands out from all the other blessings that he gave all his other sons. He said that on this son, all the nations would be obedient to. And he describes Judah as a lion and a son. This is prophetic. And then what's even more interesting is that Jacob in that blessing says the following words. He will wash his garments in wine, his robe in the blood of grapes. So do you see what is happening here? There's a prophesy, a prophecy given from Jacob to Judah. And then there's a promise from Judah that there will be a ruler that comes from him described as a lion and a son and that all the nations will be obedient to him and that his garments would be drenched in blood. And eventually we have David come from that offspring. And then Joseph is connected to David, and Jesus is born thereafter. So that is why I believe here is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, to only underscore the importance and the validity and the legitimacy of Jesus' messiahship, connection to David and to Judah, and here is God's word being fulfilled in real time, in real place, right before Philip and Nathaniel. This is biblical salvation history being fulfilled right before our eyes, and you can't miss it. 
So again, Jesus isn't just some random person who happens to come into first century Palestine and perform great signs and wonders. No, he is very unique. He is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to David and now fulfilled here. Meaning God's backing. God is willing this to take place. And what does Nathaniel say? Can anything, can anything, is this possible? Can anything good come out of Nazareth, this obscure place that is never mentioned in the Old Testament? As I commented on last week, it's never written in the Talmud or any first century or second century uh, Jewish literature. It, it was this obscure place out in the fringes. So he questions it. And what does Philip say? Come and see. Why don't you see for yourself? Notice that Philip doesn't try to defend Jesus here. He doesn't say much. He just says, come and see. He says, we found the Messiah. Come and see. Let him be the judge. Let him speak to you. Let him somehow reveal himself to you. Let him make the case for you. I'm convinced. Philip is saying, I'm convinced Jesus is the Messiah. I'm not going to sit here and rationalize and argue. I'm not going to be a theologian, a biblical scholar right here for you. I'm probably just a fisherman who have heard in the synagogues week after week, month after month, year after year, as I grew up from a child to a man now, that Jesus is the, that the Messiah would come and this is what he looks like and he has somehow convinced me. Why don't you come and see for yourself, Nathaniel? And so Nathaniel does. And as they're walking and approaching Jesus, Jesus, seeing Nathanael, says, Behold, before people, potentially, he says out loud, Behold, here is an Israelite where there is no deceit in him. How does he know that? How does he speak to a man's character that he's never met? Well, you say, how do you know he's never met him, Father Aster? Well, Nathan tells us. Nathan's immediate words after that declaration is, how do you know me? I don't know you. I've never seen you. I've never met you. You've probably, because he's from this obscure place in Nazareth. I don't know you. You don't know me. How can you speak and testify on my account? How can you speak to the kind of person that I am? You speak highly of me. You, you praise me somehow. You vouch for me. You say there's no deceit in me. Somehow you know the kind of person that I am. How is it that you know that? How is it that you know that and Philip or maybe some others don't know that and never testified or vouched for me publicly? You've made me an example in front of others. How is it that you can do that this morning, Jesus? And then Jesus says, well, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Not only does Jesus know the kind of person he is, but he also saw him somehow, some way, before he even came into Jesus' life. Meaning that Jesus has a unique ability to be able to find us wherever we are in our lives. He sees where we are. He knows what we're doing. 
and even more importantly, he knows the kind of people we are. So not only does Jesus have the ability to see the exterior person, but Jesus also has the ability to see within the person. He knows what's operating on the inside, the kind of people we are. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts, right? Purity, collective purity, where no secrets can be hid. You see how there's no secrets can be hid from our Lord? Because he knows, he can penetrate through the skin, the flesh. And he knows what we're going through, what kind of people we are. And he finds us. And what, what is Nathaniel's response? Naturally, like any one of us, this is unbelievable. How is it that you knew where I was and who I am? Who is like you? Who has that ability, my dear brothers and sisters, to know where we are every hour of the day, wherever we might find ourselves? Who can say that? And if you think that's special or powerful, who knows the kind of people we are on the inside? what we're going through, what we're holding, what we're carrying, what we believe, what kind of hearts we have, the kind of people we are, our character. Who can we say has that ability in our lives without, without interacting with us? And Nathaniel says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Here he says, you are the son of God. In the previous episode, it was Andrew who said, you are the Messiah. And that is, those two phrases are fulfilled in Matthew 16, where Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. So what Andrew declares in the episode before this that we didn't read, you are the Messiah. And what now, Nathaniel declares, you are the son of God, which we just did read. Peter, later in Matthew 16, puts those two declarations together and says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. He believes. He believes because this Jesus is radically unique. No one has the ability that Jesus has in the universe. And may that be a lesson for us this morning. Where can we hide from you, O Lord? You know when we get up and when we sit down. And Jesus turns around and says to him, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree before Philip brought you here? Okay, but watch. You will see greater things than these. What could be greater than someone knowing what we were doing without them being in the space that we were in and knowing the kinds of people that we are? Jesus there says, you will see greater things than these. 
And the next day, he turns water into wine. Symbolic, foreshadowing the resurrection, the death and resurrection. Dying and coming back to life and having a feast in the heavenly banquet. Philip was transformed. Philip experienced something that was so otherworldly, that was so profound that, that, that sense that Jesus had on him, he rushed to his friend Nathaniel and said, come and see for yourself the Messiah has come, the Son of God. And Nathaniel experienced it firsthand. How about ourselves? Two lessons we learn from this. One, Jesus knows where we are, and he finds us. Jesus isn't accidentally found, you trip, and one day you find yourself in a church, sitting in a pew, or on your couch in your living room during a pandemic. Jesus has found you, has found me. Why? Because he's seeking and pursuing us. Why? Because he loves us. He is the one initiating. He is the one who is seeking. He is the one who's looking for his people. He's not waiting per se for us. He takes the initial action. We are discovered, I believe. He found Philip. That tells you, that tells me that Christ is looking at us. God is looking at us. Our families, our friends, he is looking at us. He is not blinking. There isn't a day or the hour in our lives where God is not looking at us. You are special. I am special in his eyes of great value because we might be lost in this world. And second, what else can we learn from this this morning? Is that we don't have to have a PhD in Old Testament and New Testament. We don't have to have all the arguments. Our fundamental call as disciples living in that between period between Easter and the second coming as we find ourselves today is to introduce our friends to Jesus. Forgive me. To introduce our friends to Jesus and let Jesus do the rest. Let Jesus do the rest. Let's just introduce people to Jesus. It's not that we have the ability, we can't twist wrists and arms and force people and convince them through argument. Introduce your friends to Jesus. Come and see. And watch how Jesus can speak to them and reveal himself to them. At the end of this verse, it says that you will see the heavens open and the angels of God descending and ascending to the Son of Man. 
a phrase that only Jesus himself uses in the entire New Testament, the Son of Man. His number one popular, favorite, preferred self-designation, the Son of Man. And this vision of the angels ascending and descending is that of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. Now there's a new way between heaven and earth. And it's only through the Son of Man. Come and see. Come and see. Don't be pressured to have to know it all, but be available and willing to introduce people to Jesus. His words still are true today. Follow me. When we were baptized, when we get baptized, when we have a new life in Christ by the means of God's grace, we walk and follow Jesus wherever he takes us. And in chapter 2 of John, we see the wedding, the death and the resurrection. Our life following Jesus is that of sacrifice, obedience. He shows us the way, and there's great glory waiting for us. So do not regret or hesitate to follow Jesus because there is great, great glory, glory awaiting us all, his people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who the word became flesh and dwelt with us. Lord Jesus, we follow you. Show us how to live and how to serve, to give our life as a ransom in the spirit of obedience to others. This is the way of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.